Welcome to the Future Fix. You have reached the Hamuda Municipal Office. To be transferred to the receptionist, dial zero at any time. Please wait a moment. This Good morning, Larry speaking. Is Larry Oakton. Uh, hi, it's Glenn Bowerman from uh, the Spacing Podcast. He's the mayor of Hamiota, Manitoba. Good day, sir. How are you? A small municipality of about 1,300, just northwest of Brandon. I'm doing well. You? I'm just this side of wonderful. <laughs> well, that sounds great. <laughs> From all outward appearances, it's a lot like any other small prairie town. Flat, squat, there's a post office, hardware store, a war memorial. It's been home to some legendary hockey players. But what's life like there? What's life like? Absolutely fantastic. Then you should move out to Hamiota. <laughs> oh yeah? What would I find? Well, recreational facilities. We've got a, a hockey arena. We've got a junior Olympic swimming pool. We've got a nine-hole grass-green irrigated golf course. We're one of the few communities that can offer or do offer uh, 24-7 ER services. Mm -hmm. We've got a full-time dentist who has upwards of close to 10 employees. But Hamiota has something not all small towns can boast about. High-speed internet. And that's where I was going next. (laughs) Yes, sir, we do. We have, I guess, cutting technology, state-of-the-art fiber optic internet in Hamiota, and it's run by the municipality. You're listening to The Future Fix, solutions for communities across Canada. This is part three of The Future Fix, an audio exploration of the way technology and data are shaping communities across Canada. I'm Glenn Bowerman. Each episode, we present community challenges and solutions and take you to places large and small from coast to coast to coast. This episode, we're talking about the impact high-speed, reliable internet has on small communities who are often outside the reach of the usual broadband providers' networks. And there's no better place to begin than Hamiota. Here's Mayor Oakton again on what is a unique, municipally-driven solution. With a municipality owning the internet services, we can offer the best internet available today at better rates than what you can get from uh, independent service providers, internet service providers. So for upwards of a gigabit a second, which is a thousand megabits a second, we're charging you 60 bucks a month plus taxes. So it's around $70 by the time it all shakes out. And that covers the cost of the infrastructure and providing the service. Yes, it does. 
our target was in and around 60% of our population, both between rural and urban. The urban is fiber to the home, so that, as I say, gives me upwards of a gigabit a second. Mm -hmm. But our rural component, get fast wireless is what we call it. So there's an assortment of towers in and around the um, rural municipality. And if you can see one, you're able to tap into that wirelessly, and they get upwards of 100 megabits a second for the same kind of money. So as I understand it, a consortium of municipalities took this on because other levels of government weren't, and uh, the Park West Fiber Optic Co-op was formed that way. Our school division was noticing that, uh, especially in the larger populated areas, the kids would get into a computer lab class, and the next thing you know, they were down to a snail's pace as far as uh, downloading information, whatever they were trying to do, whether it be research or, or homework or whatever. So they sat down and they said, you know what, we need to look at installing a backbone for fiber optics. Then they got to thinking and we got to talking with them and said, hey, is there an opportunity that municipalities could tag team with you, help defray some of the costs and give them the opportunity to hook up on their own and become their own providers. Right. So we sat down at the table and came up with the co-op system. Uh, there was three municipalities that came on board, uh, Prairie View, Yellowhead, and Hamiota. Mm-hmm. And then they tag-teamed, as I say, with the Park West School Division. The whole focus of this was to provide the best internet possible for our students, but then communities are able to use the same slogan, if you will. So what does it mean to these municipalities and and the schools connected to them to have this sort of uh, broadband connection? Well, the schools, as I was saying, the uh, students aren't going to get any break in in their uh, ability to download whatever it is they need to do, whether it be graphics or information. Now there there just isn't any bottleneck. There's no point where the internet actually freezes on you. When we had our grand opening and we had over 50 people in our library in the high school, 35 of them had wireless devices. Mm-hmm. And the speed test done by the IT guy there at the time, it was coming in at around 974 megabits a second. 35 people with devices running never slowed it down hardly at all. Right. It was was amazing. And in terms of attracting business or the businesses that are already there, what does that mean for them? The businesses that are here, I guess it it provides them quicker transactions for payment systems. We're also looking at trying to provide a redundant loop, meaning at this point in time, we only have the one hookup, but we're talking with another service provider who wants access to our backbone. And if, if, for instance, the main hookup to the, the national uh, internet backbone, if that got cut, then we would have a redundant system so that we could still 
fired in from the other end and our students and, and everybody that was involved would still have internet access. Right. Sort of recently, the federal government had said that they are trying to put broadband in uh, communities all over Canada, and the big telecom providers have been kind of pushing against that for various reasons. So I, I have to ask, why wouldn't, why wouldn't all municipalities across Canada do this sort of thing? Why wouldn't they? You're right. <laughs> now, looking around Manitoba, there's other school divisions that have fiber optics in the ground. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, they did it on their own. And the municipalities that are surrounding or a part of their school division weren't given the opportunity to tag along mm-hmm. and, and make their communities even more economically viable than what they are today. Right. And, 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 and that's sad. It, w- it would be nicer to have more organizations working together instead of somebody wanting to be out there on their own and not allowing anybody else to access the uh, the best internet in the world at this point. And so the story of Hamiota, is this a sort of best practice that could scale outwards? It could. Now, who the partners would be sitting around the table might vary from community to community. Mm-hmm. A lot of municipalities are trying to get ahead of each other. It's a competition thing. Uh, one wants to be better than the next, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. When it comes to regionalization, this seems to be working extremely well. Now, the thing is, you've got to talk with others because if you try to do this on your own, most cases it will be cost prohibitive. Like you need a certain size of subscription base to, to make it effective. Yeah, you do. A municipality has the benefit, though, of being able to extend a debenture out for 20-ish years, we'll say, right. which gives you the opportunity to charge less for the Internet, mm-hmm. whereas a private company whether it be a cooperative or whatever, they have shareholders and they are there to ensure that their shareholders get a profit picture to begin with. And that's usually to the detriment of their customers. They get less bandwidth for more money. And there's data caps out there. We, at this point in time, have no data caps. Well, uh, Mayor Oakton, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Okay. Bye Bye for now. Bye. So, municipalities can take control of their own broadband internet. They don't have to wait for permission, and the results can be a self-sustaining, entirely local service. But what about regions where there is a constellation of smaller communities, spread throughout? How do these places take control of their digital future? This is Gary Wilson. I'm the Indigenous Engagement and Outreach Lead for Connected Communities BC and here in British Columbia, in particular on the uh, within the Great Bear Rainforest footprint and the Coastal First Nations communities on the northwest coast of BC. We reached Gary after a large and successful potlatch, bringing together many people from all over the region and even overseas, in traditional Pacific Coastal First Nations style. And while tradition is still an important part of life for these coastal communities, just like Hamiota, Manitoba, the need for reliable access to the internet is here too. 
Well, unfairly, like everyone else on the coast, is they need access to affordable and reliable uh, internet access. Mm-hmm. Currently, um, most of the communities are serviced through microwave. A lot of it's a line of sight and satellite feed into the communities, and then from there they uh, use their own infrastructure. And a lot of that is, you know, is not very uh, robust. The backbone of high-speed broadband infrastructure is being built throughout the region. The communities near this infrastructure have the ability to opt in in a way that makes sense for them. And Gary Wilson helps facilitate this connection. That's correct, yeah. So the backbone service is is being built uh, by uh, City West and the Strathcona Regional District that uh, partnered. That's going to be built over time, and the anticipated completion of that is by the end of 2021. And then between now and then, our role is to uh, engage with communities to uh, get them prepared for that opportunity and then work with communities to design their infrastructure needs around that. And so what opportunities do you hope to see uh, come out of this new connectivity between these communities? I think, you know, a lot of it is is, is collaboration, a uh, much more enhanced collaboration between communities is even in meetings amongst one another, we have to uh, travel uh, to a central place like Vancouver. Mm-hmm. That's a cost in terms of uh, resource and capital, but it's also a cost in terms of the carbon footprint. So with high speed, you'll be able to obviously, you know, use uh, software like GoToMeeting and be able to meet online using reliable service, whereas the internet is so unreliable today that they can't do that. There's and telehealth is another one where uh, a lot of communities spend a lot of resources to get their community members to go to, to a five, ten minute consult meeting, you know, with your doctor or specialist, right? And uh, whereas with uh, telehealth, that eliminates all of that. But currently, telehealth is is embedded in communities, but they can't use it because the bandwidth is not sufficient enough to support that. Uh, and the other other thing is 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 around bringing people back home because more than fifty percent of our members live away from home, uh, away from the communities, and and so if we're building capacity and you're building an economic sustainable economy and there's sufficient work, um, then obviously you're going to need more you know more robust, more enhanced services in community and and technology can certainly enable that. And then people that aspire to move home can move back to community and, and and others don't have to leave, you know, because there's sustainable jobs. And so all of that, you know, is, is I believe, is generally for most communities is the objective. Right. Um, I mean, I, I'm speaking to you after uh, what sounded like a very successful potlatch. And I'm hearing that uh, through this digital age, you're trying to uh, continue that spirit of community and inclusivity and con- connectivity. Yes, for sure. And the, the potlatch and the grand opening of our newly built big house in Bella Bella was a amazing success. And we were fortunate enough to be able to stream that to a lot of our community members who couldn't come home to enjoy that. People were very pleased to be able to um, enjoy it from the comforts of their home, wherever they live. So although they'd like to have been there, it was the next uh, new way of being able to engage in community without actually having to you know, spend the resources to get there. So that was an incredible thing that uh, our leadership did at that time. So it was, it was fantastic.
Currently, it's estimated over half of rural households in Canada don't have access to standard speed internet. The federal Liberal government promised between $5 and $6 billion as part of a universal high-speed internet strategy, with a goal of 100% connectivity by 2030. But it's been slow going, and the government admits there's no one-size-fits-all solution. To add to the problem, some of the big telecoms have not been playing nice. When the Canadian Radio, Television and Telecommunications Commission, or CRTC, lowered the wholesale broadband prices big telecom companies could charge, Bell Canada responded by saying it would cut about 200,000 households from a rural internet expansion program. Rogers Communication also said it would review its planned rural investments. All this despite the fact expansion plans are already subsidized by the government. The CRTC was trying to keep internet affordable. The big telecoms, who own much of the crucial infrastructure, are essentially threatening to take their ball and go home. Reliable internet access has become almost a universal need, and possibly something all major parties at different levels of government can get behind. Maybe even the telecom giants can be made to play fair. But until that happens, for rural communities looking to log in, this is The Fix. Thank you for listening to The Future Fix, solutions for communities across Canada. We are a partnership between Spacing Magazine and Evergreen for the Community Solutions Network, a program of Future Cities Canada. As the program lead, Evergreen is working with Open North and partners to help communities of all sizes across Canada navigate the smart cities landscape. The Community Solutions Network is supported with funding provided by Infrastructure Canada. This podcast was produced by myself, Glenn Bowerman, and Neil Hinchley. Original music composed by Neil Hinchley. Be sure to tune into part four of the Future Fix, where we discuss how data and technology are being used to ensure food security.